This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor of the San Francisco Chronicle, and today I'm talking to Dominic Fracasso, one of our City Hall reporters. We're going to talk about Mayor London Breed. We're approaching the year anniversary of her inauguration, and she has no real challenges for her re-election this year. So what has she accomplished so far? Has she had any missteps? And what can we expect from four more years? That's today on Fifth and Mission. Dominic Fracasa, our City Hall reporter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So we're going to talk about Mayor Breed mm-hmm. and her re-election, which is turning out to be a bit of a, a wah-wah yeah. <laughs> kind of race yeah. this year. You it's a tell sad trombone Where race. are we? Yeah, it's a sad trombone. Yeah, so it's not really much of a race at all. Um, the deadline is passed for anybody who wants to run, take a run at the mayor's office, and we're sort of left with London Breed and a number of less organized, less well-financed candidates who are also running against all of the benefits of being an incumbent, which London Breed enjoys. They're, I mean, would you characterize them as... French candidates, would that be fair to say? I, I think that's very fair to okay. say. I try not to play into the, you know, feedback loop of media says you have no chance. That means you have no chance. And then we report on your chances. Like I try not to contribute to that, but they are definitely French L- candidates. Lesser, lesser known, certainly, than the, the mayor herself. Uh, that is very fair to say. So the mayor won, um, won the office, mm-hmm. won her desk in room 200. Not that long ago. Do you want to just bring everybody, like, tell us how we got to this point? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, unfortunately, you have to start with the, you know, sudden death of um, former Mayor Ed Lee. Um, That essentially kicked off a special election that we had just over a year ago in June of 2018 to decide who was going to fill the rest of his term, which is which is about to expire. That's why we're having another mayoral election um, in November. So that race, as folks might remember, it was basically between London Breed, then president of the Board of Supervisors, uh, Mark Leno, a former state senator, um, and uh, then supervisor Jane Kim were kind of the top three contenders. Um, We had an election. It took about a week for us to suss out all the results. Um, And at the end, we had London Breed coming out I mean, by the skin of her teeth, I think people sort of forget that, which is one of the reasons that I, you know, I I wonder why more people weren't more apt to jump into the race. She won by 1.1%. That was the margin of victory. It's not resounding by any sense of that word. So um, we're just about a a few days out from um, her one year anniversary of her inauguration. And she's looking by all accounts like she'll cruise into a, a full four year term after November. So if she wins this re-election mm-hmm. and she gets another term after that. So conceivably she could be mayor for almost a full decade. Decade. Yeah. It's so, consequential. It is consequential. Yeah. Now you took the question out of my mouth. If you only win by 1.1% in this strange ranked choice election mm-hmm. where obviously uh, she was not a resounding winner, 
why didn't more people run against her? I, I think that's a very good question. I, I think in some cases, I mean, I know we we try not to be too reductive about San Francisco's political divides, but if you if you do want to think about the progressive and moderate camps for once for for just a moment, we had our former mayor Mark Farrell leave office saying. Uh, I don't think anybody should run against her. Give her the benefit of a full four-year term and then judge her her accomplishments, judge her pros and cons in office. But at the same time, you know, that we don't have anyone running from her left from the progressive camp. Maybe they're exhausted. Mark Leno and Jane Kim couldn't do it. It's a pain in the ass to run a campaign and it costs a lot of money. And looking at, you know, again, the benefits of incumbency, trying to regroup and figure out what is going to work against the London breed story. The, the, the thing I think is interesting is that London breed from now on is going to have a harder time running against the compelling personal narrative that really catapult that, that, that I think resounded with a lot of people. She grew up dirt poor in the projects in San Francisco, raised by her grandmother, saw a lot of stuff growing up as a, as a young woman, was able to, to start a, a job in, in, as a community organizer of sorts uh, and, and sort of rose through the ranks to supervisor and then to mayor. It's a, it's a, it's a quite, quite the arc um, to, to run on. But from now on, I think everyone agrees she's going to have to run on her accomplishments. How many has she built up over the past year? Well, we can talk about that. But I, I think there is a, I think Mark Farrell's advice was heeded by a lot of people, and that is give her a full term and then, and then take a run at her. Yeah, I, I think it's really that's such a good point that she's really relied, at least in all of the appearances I've seen her at, um, she's introducing herself to a, a San Francisco audience, but also a statewide national audience with this per- personal narrative. And it's it's getting to the point where. Um, it's almost redundant. Maybe maybe it's just you and I probably see her more than steeped, normal people do. In it, yeah, yeah. But it, it but it it does seem like okay. Now everybody knows what's going to happen next. Do you do you think that you it, it it's fair to say what her big wins and big losses are so far and the you know year that she's been mayor? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think we can look at a couple of accomplishments. And and I think in the aggregate, in, as we kind of go through this list, to me, the takeaway is that none of this is necessarily hugely inspiring. Now, can you do anything massive in a year? That's a, you could, reasonable people could disagree about that. But I think what you've got is an example of her trying to do good government, to do government well. I think what 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 we can talk about are a number of accomplishments where things worked well, but then again, things are supposed to work well. The government is supposed to work. You know, you know, I wouldn't have a job that's, if it was a, perfect. But I, I was going to say that's a radical thought. It's a radical thought. I know, but but so so that that's worth considering. I think as we go through this, so there's I, I think you could sum it up as essentially not a lot of this is sexy, but it wasn't easy. So, for instance, she got a six hundred million dollar affordable housing bond. Um, in front of voters in November. This November is when they're going to to take a crack at that. That was, you know, the big tent government that was run with, you know, dozens, if not a hundred different people weighing in. So she was able to kind of corral that, she and her staff, and to to get everybody to agree to put that on the on the ballot. Okay. Um, she got 29 different labor contracts approved while the city was considering its $12 billion budget. I mean, that's where th- there was some contention with uh, the nurses union, but overall that's that's a lot. That's a great balancing act. Again, with labor, she passed what's called the Project Labor Agreement several months ago, which is this huge, enormous document that governs how 
um, how city projects are going to hire unions for the plumbing and for con- general contracting. It, it spells that out very specifically. That's really unwieldy. It required a help from a lot of supervisors as well. Again, this is also sort of pushing against the narrative, I think, that's beginning to emerge about London as being kind of a top-down mayor. I think there are definitely examples where she has, you know, been aggressive in the executive in as, as the city's executive. But that's, again, some of these things are not headline, they're not arresting, but at, but at the same time, you know, things like conservatorship as well. That did not look like it was going to pass uh, for Explain some time. Explain what conservatorship Oh, sure. Is. So there was a state law passed, um, I believe it was sponsored by Senator Scott Wiener. I might be wrong about that big buddy of London Breeds, by the way, in the state legislature. Um, It it said that the city could uh, um, expand the ways in which uh, it conserves people or effectively takes away their civil liberties because they can't care for themselves or are a danger to themselves or others. And really, it's focused on severely mentally ill people who are not able to take care of themselves. And addiction. Conservator laws historically have only included alcohol addiction as a reason to it. This also includes um, um, drugs is sort of is sort of a, a significant development there. So, I mean, that, that inspired a pretty significant debate around, you know, taking away civil liberties as taking away people civil liberties should. Um, but the board was able to come, if not to a unanimous consensus, that that did pass and we are going to make those changes to the laws. And there's a lot of debate about whether that will make a real impact or not. But I but but to your point, it's a it's a, a philosophical thing that San Francisco wrestles with, which we, we see the devastation on our streets. We see how bad the homelessness crisis and the mental illness crisis is. But at what point um, you know, where do where does one thing become intolerable and the other becomes a lesser evil is that has always been a problem in this in this city? Absolutely. I mean, all in all, the conservatorship laws will probably affect a few dozen people. This is not, you know, systemic change, but even the ability to get it passed, I think, does say something about, you know, I guess about her bona fides. The last thing I could say, and, and I'm, I'm not categorizing everything again, this is just the wins here. But we did, in the span of a couple months, have a new fire chief, which is extremely politically divisive. Of course, London Breed has a great relationship with the influential firefighters union, which was the biggest like pack that helped her win the election in the first place. It's important to note. Um, but that's a very politically like fine line to walk, perhaps even more so with the public defender. Jeff Adachi died and she had to find his replacement. That pick of Mano Raju has been you know, pretty widely acclaimed, both, both by people within the public defender's office and without. Um, and she's hired the uh, director of the uh, public health, Dr. Grant Colfax. Um, those are, you know, that, that public health isn't that politically contentious. Yeah. Well, I mean, unless you're talking about needles, but that's probably (laughs) another podcast, but all of those things that you said she's accomplished, I'm falling asleep. So like, let's talk about the things that we're going to see moving forward because from my way of thinking, there were two big misses with, with the administration to date. One was proposition C which was um, a, a tax that would raise up to $300 million a year for homeless services. She came out against it before Salesforce founder Mark Benioff came out in support of it. And that and she she lost. And oh, yeah. uh, and but more importantly, she didn't have an alternative to it, I think. I think she thought she could come out with uh, Assemblyman David Chu and Scott Weiner and say this is bad policy. Um but there was no alternative to it. And it seemed to me to be a, a sort of um, an early administration misstep. Oh, I think so. I mean, I just don't see how you could be in that position as San Francisco's mayor in 20, I guess that was 2018 at that time, and, and say, do I want a whole bunch more money 
for homelessness? Do I want to have a bunch more money to house people and to administer homelessness services? And I, I, I don't know how you look at the situation and say, I mean, her, so what were her arguments? I mean, it's sort of the main one was a bit of a cynical one in saying like, look, you can't really trust my city government to spend this effectively, that the way this is written, it won't really uh, uh, pan out the way you think it will. And this money won't get end, won't end up getting spent effectively, which I mean, it's important to spend government money effectively. But I mean, let's perhaps let's give it a shot before we kibosh the entire measure. Well, I think um, a, a lot of critics said it was bad policy. And that it was a badly written law, that it was it was a lot of money and that there wasn't a lot of thought to the amount of it and really being systematic. But I but the vote certainly tells you San Franciscans were looking for any straw to grab on, yeah. on this issue. It's over sixty percent. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's pretty significant. The other the other thing and and maybe I will admit to my own personal bias on this one was the the police department raiding the journalists' house. Oh. And, you know, eventually all of our politicians in San Francisco came out and said they're troubled by the idea that, you know, the police department in one of the most liberal cities in America would intrude on a First Amendment right to protect confidential sources. But she waffled on that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And that's obviously, I think, near and dear to our industry's hearts, to be to be fair. I, I think personally, in having conversations with with members of her staff about that, I think a lot of it does you know, frankly, reflect an ignorance about how our industry works and why that was important. Because keep in mind, the other sort of up until that point, the narrative was how in God's name did the police department allow this leak to occur? Right. And and specifically, it was a leak of documents of where Jeff Dachi died in the police report, which was leaked to imply something nefarious had happened. Yeah, the the salacious details of his last couple hours um, were were leaked and broadcast on television and and in other places. So I think up until then, the M.O. was let's go figure out what happened, close the leak on this and, you know, let's fire somebody and prosecute them. You know, I think there was a lot of um, a, a lot of that was that was a pervasive attitude at that time. But that doesn't excuse what happened. I mean, the police did break down a journalist's door and, you know, abscond with his source material. Um, but and I just think it's just an ignorance about how reporting works generally uh, that 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 led to that, which is unfortunate. So, so those are my two things that I think were clear missteps. Do you have any other ones that we should should point out? Missteps. I mean, her. I, I, this, I wouldn't call this a scandal, and it's a pretty close family matter. But the whole thing with her brother oh, Napoleon yes. Brown last Christmas-ish, I thought was um, was problematic for her. I mean, just again as a very quick recap, her brother was involved in, you know, was basically convicted of murder. Um, I don't believe it was a lesser charge. He's been in jail for decades and London Breed, along with other members of her family, petitioned outgoing Governor Jerry Brown to say, we will support him. You can get out of jail early. We're asking you to uh, commute his sentence or certainly to shorten it. Um, That was uncovered by the media. That was not something that she was forthcoming about. And people really felt like she was covering something up. Well, she wrote. Mayor London Breed. It wasn't yeah. on personal letterhead. It was it was, personal, it, it was yeah. personal letterhead, but she referred to herself as the mayor and people questioned whether that was an appropriate use of her title. That's exactly right. I do think the other side of that coin is like Jerry Brown isn't going to look at who London Breed. Where do I know that name from? You know what I mean? I just just in all fairness. But it wasn't on city letterhead, just to be clear. But but she did testify in her brother's trial that she said she saw him 
sleeping on the couch around the time when a robbery that led to the murder ultimately occurred. And people, I think, did lose some trust with her for sure. Again, that's a deep personal family matter, but I don't think that came out the way that she wanted it to come out. Yeah, for sure. So why, if she has this easy election ahead of her, why am I getting all of these emails saying that she needs to raise a ton of money? Explain (laughs) that to me. Everybody loves money, Audrey. Come on, we got to have money. No, um, I I think that's a very good question. I... She is going to have a campaign. She had a campaign kickoff. She is raising money. Uh, uh, as 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 you said, we don't have a clear picture of how much right now, unfortunately, because of deadlines about when you have to report that stuff. We know that she's got about 276000 banked up as of the end of 2018, but has been holding fundraisers, uh, uh, I don't want to say ever since, but but not unfrequently since then. So we don't know how much money she's raised up. We'll know that by the end of this month. I think that her campaign, though, is going to focus a lot on two other races, Valley Brown in District 5, who's running against Dean Preston, who ran against London Breed and nearly won uh, right. several so years ago. So District 5 is the hate, the Western edition, that sort of Fillmore. area. Yep. Fillmore. Exactly. And that's the, the district where London Breed used to work. She appointed Valley Brown after London Breed became mayor. Um, and also Susie Loftus in 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 uh, for for district attorney. I mean, those are essentially the only competitive races right now. We have several you know offices that are up for election, but very few have uh, um, have actual contention within them. So I think what you're going to see is a London Breed campaigning, but campaigning with Valley Brown, com- campaigning with Susie Loftus to ensure or help ensure that people that she's aligned with are 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 going to be with her for the next couple of years as well. And she really needs uh, Valley Brown to stay on the Board of Supervisors because she is not, for somebody who came out of the Board of Supervisors, who was the president for so long, she's had a really difficult time getting this board to even pay attention to anything she wants to discuss. And I think it's 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 equally as much about losing Valley Brown, who used to be a legislative aide for London Breed and who is a, a close ally. But it's also having Dean Preston on the board, who ran against London Breed, where I don't think any love has been lost. And I think that that's that's a very particular person to have in Valley Brown's place if he wins in November. Um, so, yeah, I think that that having Valley stay on the board is going to be very important to London Breed's um, policies. And, and you would ask, I know I know we're wrapping up soon, but you, you would ask, like, what are, what is what does the future look like in London Breed, you know, in the next four years? And I think it comes down to housing. And I know that's a that's a dense topic. I mean, obviously, homelessness is well. And I think that, you know, she's got a shelter bed pledge. She's, you know, working to get another navigation center built right now on the waterfront. But I think it comes down to housing. And I don't I don't know if I'm being too ambitious here, but keep in mind that London Breed supported Scott Wiener's SB 50, which would rezone much of the city, especially around transit hubs to allow for denser housing, multifamily housing to be built in places where it historically hasn't. Um, maybe we see something local like that. Maybe she can garner enough support to make some major rezoning in the city. And rezoning, again, is not sexy. But ultimately, we're in a housing crisis. Everybody who pays rent or pays a mortgage feels that. And, you know, I think I think that is where, given enough time, she will look to make some real inroads, is, is building more housing, which is one of her stated goals since the beginning of her campaign. And one of the hardest things to do in the city of San Francisco. The mayor doesn't have all the levers to pull. It's going to be incentives to the private market. It's going to be getting a lot of affordable housing built, which do, which the mayor's office of housing does have a lot of sway around. Um, this affordable housing bond will be critical to that in November to, to in order to do that. Um, but but yeah, I think it's going to be doing as much as you can from within, you know, sort of her helm to make changes to something that that 
again, it's largely outsider control, which is why it's so hard for mayors to do it. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, housing and homelessness are not unrelated, but I don't see how she gets through another four years with a very good approval rating unless the situation on the street gets marketedly better. And I yeah. and we're going to have an event with the mayor. Um, we just posted it. We're going to be in conversation with the mayor around the issue of homelessness in particular. A, a long talk with her. We're going to get really deep on the issues. And I'm really going to be interested to see if she's going to come up with any visionary ideas that are really going to pose a new way of, of looking at this. So yeah. anyone who's interested in that can go to sfchronicle.com backslash membership. And um, it's going to be on July 30th. So I'm sure I'll see you there, Dom. Oh, I'll be there. <laughs> I don't think you have a choice. Oh, uh, no. Probably. no but I'm still, I'm still <laughs> I'll stoked to be there. I'll talk to your to boss about it. Very good. Dominic Fercasa, thank you so much for joining us and coming out of City Hall to visit us here at Fifth Emission. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Dominic Fercasa for joining me today. Thank you to King Kaufman and Libby Coleman for producing this episode. And thanks to everybody who tuned in. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.